from all you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. A battle in the heart of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I say no contract, you say no code. No contract, no If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, Tim James is done playing with the striking coal miners, while Katie Britt is endorsed by their boss. EPA workers begin contract negotiations, the cops are out of control, and more on the show today. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio... Then you can find us online. We're everywhere you find anything online. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We're wherever you get your podcasts. Newly on TikTok. You can just search all of those places for The Valley Labor Report and find us there. Uh, just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. So it really does make a difference, uh, especially, especially given that we have to, unlike... unlike you know, podcasts and, and internet-only media, we basically do the radio portion of the show as paid programming, right? So we are we are giving stations money to be on the radio because we think that we think it's valuable to reach an audience that isn't gonna just find us online. Um, and that costs money, which does not go into my pocket. It doesn't go into Adam's pocket. It basically, we, we, we basically, all the money that comes in goes towards the running of the show. And so it really does make a difference when you support the program. We had five or six months where we were at or a little bit above breaking even, which was really great. And we ran a bit of a deficit in May. And we're projected to run a bit of a deficit in June. So your uh, support of the program individually really does help. And if you're a member of a union, you should think about getting your local to sponsor the show. Our largest single source of funding comes from our listeners, but we could not do it without our um, local union, international union sponsors. Um Absolutely could not be done without them. So um, so if you think that what we're doing is valuable, then consider supporting us yourself or um, and especially getting your union to sponsor the show. That would really help. Uh, and you can do that yourself on tvlr.fm or patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. You can also buy our new hat there as well on our website tvlr.fm and uh, I do while I'm while I'm kind of ad-libbing I want to uh, I, I want to just thank the people that make it possible 
to do the program. We've got, you know, the, the people who are the most visible are going to be me and Adam, obviously, because we're the ones on camera. But we've got a pretty cool... Um, a pretty cool group of folks in the background kind of helping us helping us do stuff um we've got mike bailey is a retired audio engineer he comes out of like the he comes out of the radio industry and he does our audio like he cleans up our audio after the program and sends the recording to all of our affiliate stations that we're not live on but that we send a recording of the program to he takes care of that for us Makes it sound a little bit better. He puts it up on the podcast feed, and he cleans up the audio for our video editor to marry to the video. Our video editor is Joe Harrison. He's been the one for the last six months doing our videos on YouTube and recently in the past couple of weeks on TikTok. He's the one that does all that. Our new graphics that are great. That's all Joe. That's all Joe Harrison. Um, he does a fantastic job. I mean, with the graphics and stuff, I used to be the one to do the thumbnails. Um, and <laughs> the first, literally the first thumbnail that Joe Harrison ever did for us on YouTube, I got a text from David, the just a just just a terrible person this guy david <laughs> um he texts me i'm gonna tell him you said that he's he texts me this guy the nerve of this guy he says did you do that thumbnail that's the best thumbnail that i've ever seen on this program on our youtube page and i'm like oh wow well thanks david i appreciate that i've been doing this for two years and literally the first one that's not done by me you think it's the best one ever on the channel anyway that's joe so he's the one doing that uh, very cool, uh, just just fantastic, really talented guy. Ben Job, of course, with Spice Radio. He helps us out with some tech stuff. You know, me and Adam, we're not professionals. He helps us out uh, here in the studio when we need some help. Couldn't do it without Ben. Could not do it without Ben. Jeff Michaels in Athens, uh, making sure that we're able to go out to the good folks in the audience at WVNN. Um, you know, uh, teamwork makes the dream work, and many hands make light work. And um, and and it's 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 just been as we've gotten more people into the project, it's really taken a load off of me. And I think it's been able to give everybody a better product, a be better content uh, than we were putting out two years ago. Um, because we have we have people that are kind of specialized and that know what they're doing, and so it's really cool. And I, I and I I am like genuinely really really. Uh, just beyond appreciative to the people that help us do the program, kind of behind the show, behind the scenes. Absolutely. Um, we've got a phone number if you want to call the show, if you want to be a part of the program. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. 844-899-8857 is the program. Anybody can call in, be a part. Um, and... I wanted to start the program talking about Tim James. This guy. You thought you'd heard the last of him. Well, I mean, basically you have. But, <laughs> um, but I want to talk about him because I am really, really aggravated this, at this guy. Tim James lost the Republican gubernatorial primary election a couple of weeks ago. Coming got crushed. In, got crushed. Coming in third place 
for the third time, actually, in a Republican primary. He has run. This is the third primary. He ran he ran for a primary, I think, for governor in, in the other two as well, in 2002 and then in 2010. And in all three of these, he's come in third in the Republican primary, which is just fantastic. I love it. Um, coming in third after such a strong performance from Governor Ivey that she avoids a runoff. Governor Ivey did not go to a runoff, so she's going to be governor. Um, and and he finished behind no-name Linda Blanchard. Who is that? I don't know. You don't know. She's a nobody. She was. She bought an ambassadorship to Slovakia or Lithuania or whoever, like wherever the hell... Who cares? I'm sure she's quite the expert on Eastern Europe. I'm sure. I'm sure she's just totally <laughs> she's I'm sure she's intimately familiar with the with the internal politics of of, you know, Slovakia or Slovenia or Lithuania, whatever. I'm sure she's super aware and it wasn't just that she was a big donor to the Trump to the Trump campaign. But that's where she got into politics is that she was a no-name bought ambassador to Slovenia. <laughs> and she beat Tim James, who Oops. has been in Alabama politics for decades, whose daddy was governor, and she beat him. This nobody beat him. So that's very funny. But one of the things that made him interesting as a potential governor, as a potential Republican governor, was his support for striking coal miners in Brookwood, Alabama. He said, I've never seen anything like it. He said, this is corporate greed like I've never seen before. He reiterated multiple times how much respect he's got for these coal miners and how Alabama politicians are leaving them behind and sucking up to out-of-state Private equity firms like BlackRock. BlackRock owned Warrior Met. He seemed very, I mean, he seemed really passionate about it. He made real concrete commitments on this program to the coal miners. And so, um, you know, given this guy, the coal miners endorsed him. So given that this guy seemed so adamant that it's important to support these coal miners now that he's lost the election and presumably he's got so much time on his hands, I would assume he would be doing something for them rather than slinking back to his private toll road construction company and out of the public eye. I would just assume... If you actually give a damn about working Alabamians, that now that you've got all this free time since you're not running around trying to convince people to vote for you, that you would be focusing a little bit of your attention on this issue that nobody else in conservative politics in the Republican Party on talk radio is talking about. I would assume that just a, just a tiny bit, just a tiny bit, 1% of your time and energy and resources would go towards this issue. So immediately after the election, I decided to hit him up to ask him what he plans to do to support the coal miners. 
There's a big way that wealthy individuals, that people whose daddy was governor, like Tim James, there's one way that, that, that he could support them, and that's making a big donation to their strike fund. You know, this guy has a net worth, presumably, of like millions of dollars. He could donate half a million dollars to their strike fund, and that would go a long way in helping these people as they're on strike against Yankee capitalists that are trying to take advantage of the natural resources of Alabama and the workers of Alabama, which, again, he claimed to care about. Another way that somebody like him could support the miners in a way that somebody like me could not, for one, because I've got a job, for another, because I do other stuff. So I don't, I don't have the time, I don't have the political cachet, and, uh, or the name recognition, or the resources to do what I'm about to say. But something that somebody like him could do to support the coal miners is by making radio rounds across the state on conservative talk radio and really putting a campaign of public pressure on the governor. He could use the political connections. His dad is still alive. Former Governor Bob James, who sent state troopers and helicopters to break up a picket line in Cortland, Alabama, as paper mill workers were on strike, who sent state troopers to a picket line of striking teachers in Walker County. He could use the political connections that he has to behind the scenes put pressure on Governor Ivey to do something about this and then in front of the scenes, he could be making the rounds on conservative talk radio as somebody who's got some amount of political capital with these losers on talk radio, with these absolute buffoons who are trying to make you care that Mr. Potato Head is now just called Potato Head or that Minnie Mouse is wearing a pantsuit. He's got political cachet with these buffoons, and he could try to talk to them on the radio and try to build up a public campaign to pressure the governor of Alabama to do something. And he's not doing that. He's got time. He's got money. He's got friends in high places. And he's not doing a damn thing about this. And I mean, look, folks, I genuinely, this this. I'm doing this segment now a couple of weeks after the election because I genuinely hoped that if he didn't have something in the works already, that maybe asking him about it, because again, it doesn't take much time or resources for somebody like him to do what I'm talking about. I was genuinely hoping that, that maybe if he didn't have something in the works already, that maybe my asking him would spur him to say, oh yeah, you know what, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. I should do that with all this time that I've got on my hands now <laughs> that I'm not going to be governor. I would have happily, I would have, I would have giddily with bells on highlighted the work that he would have done. And I would have even been willing to attack Democrats for not doing it themselves, which I will. I'm going to be pitching to, uh, to some outlets an op-ed 
about the Biden administration's lack of action. Because, of course, it's not just Ivy. The, where has the Biden administration been? This is a guy supposed to be the most pro-labor uh, president. He wants to say in history, at least since FDR, and we've got a strike, a coal miner strike in Alabama. I mean, just politically, it's such a winner. It would be such a winner for you to come down and walk the picket line with these people in Alabama, to come down and do a rally in Alabama, to, to start an investigation into Warrior Met with MSHA or with OSHA or with the SEC or just do something, put some kind of pressure on. So, you know, look, it's not just Governor Ivey, but we're in Alabama and we're talking about the Republicans right now. So I would have been willing to do that. And that's still the case. And I, and I will do that. And I have done that. And I will continue to do that, to do that. But I would have happily, happily highlighted the work that he does, that he did, that he would have done, that I hoped he would do to support these coal miners. And I would, I would have not been highlighting the differences that we have as he does this. Because, because I don't care kind of what, what other politics that you might have. Um, if you're supporting working people and you're not supporting working people as a veil to, to, to divide working people, then I'm happy to kind of lock arms with you on a single issue. So, you know, I emailed his campaign press person. No response. I called her. Got in touch with her. She said she passed the message on. Nothing. I found his private toll road company and sent an email there. Nothing. I found what I believe to be his son and his son's... Uh, I found what I believe to be his and his son's phone number. And I got a, a message on a voicemail that says, oh, This is Tim James, blah, 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 leave a message. Uh, this is Tim James Jr., blah, 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 leave a message. I left two messages on both of their phones. Nothing. I followed up on his private toll road company, construction company email. Nothing. Radio silence from him after all these attempts to contact him through his campaign, through his dead losing campaign, through his campaign press person, through his personal phone number, through his company email, through his son. Nothing. The only logical conclusion that you can draw from this is that Tim James is a fraud. Tim James does not care about Alabama. Tim James does not care about her workers. And all his bluster at the Mine Workers Union Hall, where he said, this situation is nothing like I've ever seen before, in his, in his plantation owner Montgomery accent. This is nothing like I've ever seen before. This is unparalleled corporate greed. That was all BS to try to scramble together a coalition to get elected. That's all it was. It was, it was just another no good, no count politician trying to make us working folks believe that he cares a lick about you and me. And he didn't mean any of it. And presumably, neither do any of these other people. And it's so, I mean, I'm just so frustrated. I'm, I'm so angry. And I'm not even angry. Like, I don't care. I don't give a damn if he, like, texts me or calls me or, or gives us a press release or whatever. He could have, in response to my, because like I said, that I haven't gone forward with any of this information, any of this radio silence that we have gotten um, 
for requests to continue supporting the coal miners. I, I didn't go forward with this until just now. He could have, without crediting us for spurning him, he could have just said, you know, just just done a press release, just done something, and 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 just totally ignored us. And I would have been fine with that. And I still would have highlighted the work that he's doing that he he would have done. I don't care if he gives us credit. I don't care if he comes on a radio program again. I don't care if he calls me or if he emails me. I don't care about that. What I want him to do is support working Alabamians who are in a fight right now for their lives, for their communities, for their families against Yankee capitalists in, in, in New York, in D.C., in other countries who are trying to profit off of our workers and our natural resources and break our spirits. This is something that he, he pretended to care about. And it's just, it was all BS. It was all BS. And so I hope that if this, if this slime ball ever tries to come out of the woodwork, to slime out of his private toll road construction company hole, and run for office again. I hope people remember this. I hope the coal miners remember this. I hope people in the audience remember this. I hope conservative working people remember this. He will say whatever he thinks it is that will help him get elected, and then he will throw you away the second that you do not become politically convenient or helpful for him. That is who Tim James is. Phone number is 844-899-TVLR if you want to if you want to join the show, if you have anything to add to that. Um, I can't help but chuckle a little bit. Uh, way to go. I see you're fired up about Tim James, and I don't blame you. Uh, good example of the pandering that these politicians do to try to get the support of ordinary working class people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just it, – it, it's – totally it's just nothing it's a it's it was all lies just a big big nothing burger to try to get working people to believe that he was on our side he's got a lot of peers yeah that's for sure because uh he really just exemplifies uh, most politicians Certainly most politicians in Alabama, that's for sure. Yep. Um, so, you know, Tim James is not in office. He doesn't have power. So let's talk about somebody who is presumably going to be in office here in a while. Possibly. Um, certainly seems certain, most likely. Certainly seems likely. She just got Trump's endorsement, which is very funny. Katie Britt. And Tim James is not the only person pretending to give a damn about coal miners, um, even though he's done it most explicitly. But Katie Britt has joined in on the fun. She has not mentioned. She has steadfastly refused to acknowledge the strike, the longest strike in Alabama history, involving a thousand coal miners and their families. But she does want to pretend to care about coal miners, kind of just as a, as a general group. She even said in a statement, I'll always stand up for our state's mining communities. And make sure that no one is ever forgotten in Alabama. Oh, really? Wow. 
When? Hmm. <laughs> when? That's interesting. We're, we're waiting, Katie. <clears throat> yeah. That comes from a statement. I mean, ensure that no one has ever forgotten in Alabama. Like, you are actively ignoring what should be the biggest story in the state right now. Coal miners in rural Alabama being screwed over by Yankee capitalists. I mean, what other... What other story is there, frankly, as it relates to Alabama politics? Like, what other story of relevance is there if you're not talking about that? That comes that I'll always stand up for our state's mining communities and make sure that no one has ever forgotten in Alabama. That comes from a statement that she made when she was accepting the endorsement of the Alabama Mining Association, which is the Council of Bosses in the mining industry in the state, of which Warrior Met Coal is a part. Far from Alabama coal miners endorsing her, she has received the endorsement of their bosses, many of whom, let's remember, when she's talking about Alabama's mining communities as it relates to receiving the endorsement of the Alabama Mining Association, these people don't live in Alabama. The people that she's being endorsed by by and large, when we're talking about the people that hold the power at Warrior Met, these are Yankees. These are people that live in New York and D.C. and hobnob with politicians, with, with Joe Biden, with Larry Finkel. These are the people that she's receiving the endorsements from. She's not receiving endorsements from Alabama coal miners, the workers, the people that actually pull the coal from the ground. The people that actually create value. She's receiving the endorsement of the people that don't do any work and take all of the money. She, just like Tim James, does not give a damn about you, Alabama worker, Alabama coal miner, but she will ever so tepidly invoke your name where she feels that it is politically expedient while she courts the endorsements of the very same carpet-bagging coastal elite billionaires that want to send you a mile underground for longer periods of time, for less pay, for fewer benefits, while they are above ground on golf courses, brown-nosing politicians and regulators to try to pull apart and rip to shreds the few remaining strands of protections that you have as a worker, as a coal miner. That's who she is. That's who she's being endorsed by. And this is the person, <laughs> this is the person that former Trump advisor Steve Cortez calls an economic populist. That's just an amazing, like, an Orwellian use of the word. It truly is. I mean, it's, like I said earlier, uh, off the air, populist is one of those words that has been misused so much that it really means nothing now. Um how how can you lay claim to the legacy of populism in this country? Populism would have been the white and black farmers organizing together, the sharecroppers organizing together against big capital in the late 1800s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Populism was the la- labor movement organizing in the auto industries and the rubber industries throughout the 30s who helped get us the New Deal. That's populism. And, and to pretend that someone like Katie Britt, former head of the Business Council of Alabama, the people who are your bosses, 
that this is a populist. You know what population are we talking about here? Because it's clearly not the rank and file working people of this state. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it's just genuinely amazing. Yeah, I I, I would love for someone like Mr. Cortez or really anyone to explain what they mean by that term populist. Right. What right. It, what about her economic program of less regulations on companies? I that- mean, how can you get you cannot get less populist. You cannot be further away from any meaningful definition of the word populist than being the president of a statewide council of bosses, which is what she is. She is the former president of the Business Council of Alabama, which is the the council of bosses, of owners, of CEOs, of millionaires in this state. She was the president of that organization. You cannot be, it is, it is impossible to be further away from being a populist. <laughs> right. It's, I mean, it's just totally it, It's like, you know, being a warmongering pacifist. It doesn't make sense. Totally meaningless. Um, <clears throat> before we go to, to our, our break, and, and and then we bring on Brian Kelly from the EPA union, AFGE Local 704. I did want to talk about this because coal miners did get a small win next uh, this last week, though. No thanks to Republicans like Katie Britt and Tim James. Um, the MSHA, the Mine Safety and Health Administration, on Thursday announced actions it is taking to reduce coal miners' exposure to silica. From their announcement... Uh, crystal and, and so what is silica is, is a question. Uh, crystalline silica is a common mineral found in the Earth's crust. Materials like sand, stone, concrete, and mortar contain crystalline silica. And respirable crystalline silica, which, is, which are minute particles at least 100 times smaller than ordinary beach sand, becomes airborne during cutting, sawing, grinding, drilling, and crushing stone and rock. And without proper protections, this is still from the Department of Labor's announcement, without proper protections and engineering controls in place, miners can be exposed to dangerous levels of crystalline silica particles, which increases their risk of developing serious silica-related diseases. These conditions include incurable lung diseases such as coal workers' uh, pneumonia... Black lung, <clears throat> progressive massive fibrosis, which is the most severe form of black lung, silicosis, lung and other cancers, and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and kidney disease. So that's what, you know, so so silica, very dangerous. It can cause lots of problems. Well, just, what's interesting about silica, though, is as it relates to black lung, is that previously the main culprit for black, one, black lung was coal dust itself. Um... But in their statement about this new rule that MSHA will be um, or, or about the new action that MSHA is taking, the UMWA points out that coal seams have become deeper and thinner, meaning that miners are cutting through more and more waste rock to get to the actual coal. Um, and the waste rock is high in silica. So, you know, there have been a lot of protections around coal dust because that was the main culprit before. But now as we're going deeper and deeper and further and further into thinner and thinner coal seams, um, there's kind of new, new dangers, new causes of black lung, and that's silica. 
Um, the University of Illinois in Chicago has an interesting article summing up some research on black lung and silica from the last 20 years or so. From that article, before 2005, when the increase was first reported, the increase in black lung, because from the 1970s to the early 2000s, black lung cases decreased dramatically as worker power uh, created more safety regulations um in union contracts and at the federal and state level, um, cases of black lung decreased rapidly. From the early 2000s to now, we've seen a rapid, a rapid increase in in the cases of black lung among coal miners. And so before 2005, when the increase was first reported, this is from that article uh, from the University of Illinois in Chicago. Before 2005, when the increase was first reported, the incidence of black lung disease had been on the decline since the 70s when modern coal dust controls were put in place. Subsequent investigations have reported that black lung cases have tripled and that tenured miners in central Central Appalachia, which is the epicenter of the disease, have experienced a tenfold increase in severe black lung disease. That's astounding. So as coal mining changes, we've seen an increase in black lung, necessitating these changes from MSHA, from the Mine Safety and Health Administration. Specifically, the agency says these are the things that the agency is saying it will do. It'll do more spot in- inspections at coal and metal, non-metal mines with a history of repeated silica overexposures to closely monitor and evaluate health, uh, health and safety conditions. They will perform increased oversight and enforcement of known silica hazards at mines with previous citations for exposing miners to silica dust levels over the existing permissible exposure limit. They will implement an extent an expanded silica sampling at metal and non-metal mines to ensure inspectors samples represent the mines well. They will have a focus on sampling during periods of the mining process that present the highest risk of silica exposure for miners, and they will be reminding miners about their rights to report hazardous conditions, hazardous health conditions, including any attempt to tamper with sampling with the sampling process. So this is all to limit the damage that is done while MSHA comes up with a new standard for silica. Um, they're looking to create a new rule, and so this is all the things that they're they're trying to do to limit the damage in the meantime. The UMWA is applauding this move, saying in a statement that more than 100,000 coal miners have lost their lives to the effect of black lung, and we've seen a significant rise in black lung cases among younger miners for several years now, said International President Cecil E. Roberts. It is good to know that MSHA is stepping up enforcement of silica exposure as it prepares a new rule for controlling silica dust. We know what causes black lung and how to prevent this deadly disease from stealing the lives of our nation's coal miners. We thank the assistant secretary for his leadership on behalf of the miners. So that's that's some good news. Um, nice to get some good news yeah. that the government is going to actually be doing what it's supposed to do and enforcing some regulations. Yeah. That's some good news for sure. So let's go ahead and head to a break really quick. On the other side, we are talking to Brian Kelly. He is vice president of AFGE Local 704, representing 1,000 EPA workers in the Great Lake States. We'll be right back. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. 
We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern worker movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know about how viable clean and renewable energy is. To that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to more than thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state. We're working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about our work and how you can join us at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. I'm all you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Labor creates all wealth, all wealth should go to labor, and you are listening to The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, give us a call or send us a text. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can call or text the number anytime, anytime at all. And if you call during the program, we might bring you on the air and have a chat. So, 
Our next guest, or our guest today, is Brian Kelly. He is based in Michigan. He's an EPA worker and vice president of AFGE Local 704, representing 1,000 EPA workers in the Great Lakes states. He's also been an emergency responder and done work in the South responding to Katrina and Rita anthrax, the BP oil spill, and more. So, as you can tell, he's a busy guy. So, Brian, thank you very much for uh, for taking the time to talk to us. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jacob, Adam, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm a relatively new listener to your program, but that's only because I didn't know about it. You know, <laughs> I thought your guest a couple weeks ago talking about climate change and class warfare. Mm. I mean, I thought that was really, really good talk. And I've really become educated on the United Mine Workers strike there. I think it's at, you know, 436 days. Uh, you know, my my people come from Harlan, Kentucky, the the coal fields there and, you know, the 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 steel mills, the Ohio Valley. My my grandfather was a lifelong railroader. Uh, my wife's family works in the auto industry. Uh, so I am very much in solidarity with industrial workers. I have contributed to the strike fund down there. You know, and let me say clearly that the. EPA workers at 704 support the mine workers on strike there. We are absolutely in solidarity with them. That's fantastic. I, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, it means a lot. And and the mine workers have, um, I think that there, there's been a lot of support from potentially unexpected places, maybe, maybe um, at least unintuitive places. Uh, the Sierra Club wrote a $10,000 check. To the mine workers strike fund, um, Energy Alabama has donated a couple thousand dollars, which is a renewable energy group. Um, the uh, Starbucks baristas that are unionizing in Birmingham have been to several of their events, and the mine workers have been to several of their events. Um, there have been, uh, you know, there, there there has been a lot of support from working people um, for the miners, and 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 like I said, from some potentially unintuitive places uh, and that has been really really heartening to see i i i love to see that and and see people recognizing that you know we've got way 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 more in common as working people even if we you know even if even if i work in an office and you work in a coal mine like we've got way more in common than the people above us than our bosses yeah and with our bosses. as you as you as you mentioned, uh, I, I'm based and live in Michigan, which you would call me a what? A Yankee. You're a Yankee. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's, but, but the good like kind. You said, yeah, you're a good kind. Yeah, you're we, not a Yankee capitalist. You're a Yankee worker. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The workers are united, right? That's right. what we've got to do. And, you know, Warrior Met Coal and BlackRock, you know, BlackRock controls the investments that we have in our retirement, in our, you know, 401k type investment. And, you know, it's an insult, insult to us that BlackRock is the one that was chosen to manage that TSP fund. I, you know, you know, that's, that's just horrendous. Yes. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. BlackRock is, is um, <clears throat> very bad. But the people, the people on the uh, the people on the radio station that are one of the radio stations that we're on is a conservative radio station. And the people there seem to think that BlackRock is this 
socialist, communist, radical, liberal, <laughs> you know, crazy, uh, crazy lefty people, <laughs> which is well, well you know, it, it's interesting, you know, uh, as you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, I'm the vice president at AFG Local 704. We we are not a partisan organization. You know, we talk to uh, people on both sides of the aisle, and we can sometimes come to some common ground. Maybe we get there at different ways, but, you know, if we both can agree that BlackRock is no good, then I'll take that. And, you know, we, you know, I've met with, you know, people on the right, you know, congressionals that they they understand the science of climate change, you know, and, and met with people on the left that said that they're pro-labor. But, you know, where are you? Where Why aren't you showing up? Right. Exactly. Um, I, definitely, you know, you got to take wins where you can get it. I was talking to the other um, to to the the president of the EEOC council for AFGE, Rachel Seanfield. And she said that um, one of the people that really helped them um, fight back against the proposed cuts from the Trump administration um, was actually Richard Shelby from Alabama, which was, you know, kind of fascinating and, and, and good to hear. Um, so so definitely, you know, take we have to take wins where we can get it. And and and, yeah. and I always and I do try to make it a point to to highlight when Republicans do, you know, because for one, it, it's pretty easy because it's so rare. But uh, <laughs> but but when Republicans do something that's good for working people, I definitely want to highlight it and, um, you know, yeah, encourage absolutely. more of that. So, so you know, I I wanted to get you on the program to talk about the the EPA negotiations and some of the fight that y'all had as EPA workers with the Trump administration, um, and 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 even t- to a certain extent the fight that y'all are still having to have with against the Biden administration. But c- before before we get into that, just give us a a kind of an elementary uh, explanation of the EPA. What is it? What what do y'all? Yeah. Do? Yeah, yeah. So uh, do you guys know who created EPA? Richard Nixon, right? That's right. That's Richard Nixon. You know, environmental protection has not always been so partisan. I mean, you look uh, at major environmental progress under the Reagan administration, you see uh, President George H. Bush talk about uh, internally, at least, uh, about climate change. There were major uh, improvements to the Clean Air Act under George H. Bush. So it has not always been partisan. But backing up, so uh, Richard Nixon in 1970 created the Environmental Protection Agency. And the mission is pretty simple at the top. Uh, ensure that Americans have clean air, clean water, and clean land. I mean, that's the mission. Congress writes the environmental law. EPA then develops the regulation that implements that law. Now, what most often happens, though, is that EPA will set a national standard, and then states and tribes will then implement those standards. So there in Alabama, you have the Alabama Department of Environmental Management, which would be uh, our colleagues there that would implement those those federal rules. So that is it in a very short nutshell. Gotcha, gotcha. And so what were some of the, uh, you know, <clears throat> what were some of the 
you know, I mean, we can imagine that there would be a conflict between the Trump administration because, unfortunately, protection of the environment has become more of a partisan issue um, over time. And so we can imagine that there would be some conflict between a Trump administration and EPA workers dedicated to the vision that you just laid out, dedicated to a vision of protecting workers, protecting communities from the tyranny of of bosses. And, and so uh, – and corporations who do not care about – their workers and the communities that they're in. So, what were some of the what were what were some of the highlights of the the conflicts that y'all had with the Trump administration? Yeah, I mean it. It was really unprecedented. I've been at EPA for twenty years uh, under both terms of George W. Bush, uh, the two terms of Obama, and th- the Trump administration was unparalleled in their attacks on federal workers and specifically EPA workers. They imposed a contract on our members without negotiations. It was a very punitive contract. It, it, uh, you know, limited our ability to use official time. It cut us off from collecting dues from members. It, it was so petty that, you know, they, they threw us out of our office in downtown Chicago. We, we could not even put a bulletin on the board in the lunchroom. It was very, very punitive. Uh, but I, I have to say, though, that, you know, it empowered a lot of us, though. It, it did not cower us in the way that I think they they meant to do it. I mean, I have been a, a union member for my entire time at EPA, but I wasn't really out involved. I mean, like you said, you know, I do a lot of emergency response work. I'm traveling, but I really felt like this was too much. So, you know, uh, we fought those illegal orders uh, in the halls of Congress, talking to both sides of the aisle. Again, you, you know, uh, without the support of uh, Republicans, we could not operate at EPA. You know, without the support from both sides, you know, the union couldn't make progress. And so we fought in the halls of Congress, you know, in the media. Uh, we had uh, worker actions that, uh, you know, we would show solidarity. You know, we went to the Federal Labor Relations Board. You know, we fought each and every day to you know, represent our members. And really, it culminated in that turning point when the Biden administration came in, they signed executive orders that rolled back those illegal directives from the Trump administration. And, you know, I, I was very, uh, you know, uh, overwhelmed and pleased to see that you know, the, the the executive order that Biden signed says it is the policy of the United States to protect, empower and rebuild, rebuild the career federal workforce and to encourage union organizing and collective bargaining. I mean, that's just been, you know, a phenomenal statement coming out of the administration. Now, that it's still not been easy. You know, it should be like the president says that we should be rebuilding the career federal workforce, that it is the policy of the government to encourage union organizing empowerment. But, you know, we still have the same managers that were there under the Trump administration that very quickly, I mean, they 
quickly imposed those uh, unilateral contracts. They very quickly kicked us out of our office. They very quickly moved to cut off our dues, to, to reduce official time. They moved very quickly to do that. But now that the Biden administration is saying that, you know, hey, we're going to take a different direction. They're very much slow rolling those things. They are not acting with that uh, urgency that they did when they were trying to, you know, really control us. Right, right. The, <clears throat> why do you think the Biden administration is is allowing that to happen? I, I wish I knew. Uh, you know, one of the things that we do is every year we go and meet with our congressional representatives uh, for almost all of Region 5, which is those Great Lakes states. And, you know, I, I ask, uh, you know, members of Congress, why do you think this is happening? Why aren't we making more progress? And, uh, you know, I, I don't really know. You know, I was talking with the national president of AFG, Everett Kelly, and, you know, talking to him, like, you know, why aren't we making more progress? And, uh, you know, I, I have not gotten a real good answer about why the Biden administration is not, you know, fulfilling what they say that they're going to do. I mean, they said empower unions, you know, assist in organizing. Why why aren't they doing that? I don't know. Right, right. Well, and so your your contract uh, negotiations for um, for the EPA begin tomorrow, and uh, you know, one of the some of your goals for these contract negotiations are to try to put some of the to to try to do everything you can to insulate yourselves from another Trump administration, um, right? Yeah, you know, so, uh, yeah, a Trump administration specifically, but, you know, whether the president appoints the head of Exxon or, the, you know, the, the head of the Sierra Club, right? You know, we we don't want bias injected into what the agency's mission is, you know, so uh, we're, we're looking at a, a number of things, and it, it's one of the things is about like workforce uh, and diversity. EPA, you know, a, a lot of people think EPA is this huge organization that has inspectors all over the place, but EPA is tiny. It is only 14,000 employees. You know, that's the same level as 1988 and adjusted for inflation. EPA's budget is still at 1980 levels. And, you know, you look, yeah. And, you know, the U.S. economy is twice the size as it was in 1980, but we're still doing the same level of environmental protection. Actually, we're doing a lot more. You know, the the bipartisan infrastructure bill reauthorized the Superfund, which cleans up contaminated sites. Fourteen of those are in Alabama. Uh, the removal of lead service line. There are millions of lead service lines or the cleanup of PFAS. You know, so. You know, there's only so much you can do with, you know, do more with less. You know, we 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 are, you know, very thin on staff. You know, we're very underfunded. You know, EPA's budget is nine point five billion dollars. And most of that goes out to the states to implement their programs. So it's really it's a tiny amount. And then we're looking at 
the fact that about 58% of current EPA staff can retire in the next 10 years. And that includes me. I'm going to be eligible to retire in 10 years. And you know, like, we need to rebuild the career federal workforce as the Biden administration said we're going to do. Uh, and also, when we're doing this, we need to make sure that EPA's workforce is reflective of the public that we serve. You know, currently only about 20% of top EPA positions are held by people of color. And that needs to change. We need a promotion system that moves people up through the GS scale and allows them to get into management. So that is one of the, the priorities is workforce diversity and workforce staffing. And you also mentioned, you know, um, I'm sorry, Adam, were you about to say something? No, go ahead. You also mentioned uh, when we were talking the other day about getting into your contract a scientific integrity clause. That sounded pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, th that's what I was mentioning earlier, like whether it's the head of Exxon or Greenpeace, you know, we want the science to speak for itself. And we are looking to be the first union to have a, a scientific integrity article put into our contract. And, you know, that would mean that, you know, it would insulate it from bias. It would uh, be able to reproduce the science and then even have a neutral person uh, that we could appeal those decisions to. You know, some of the articles that I think, you know, you and I passed back, you know, there were this huge rollout or rollback, really, of environmental regulations under the Trump administration. And, you know, some of those were done ignoring the science or manipulating the science. You know, there is a great um, uh, nine-part series in The Intercept by Sharon Lerner talking about how EPA managers overrode their own staff and their assessments of risk of new chemicals. I mean, it's a fascinating uh series. I encourage people to read it. You know, it, it, it encapsulates really, you know, how under the Trump administration, industry captured the agency. I mean, regulatory captures the, the term of it, where, you know, the people that were running it, EPA, like, were running it for the best interests of industry and not the public. You know, so, you know, there's this crazy term in that uh, nine-part series where EPA managers called special cases hair on fire. Like, we need to get this chemical approved right now. And in the emails, they're like, we've got a hair on fire case. You know, you need to get this chemical approved now. And the staff is saying, uh, you know, this we have evidence that this causes cancer, that we should not have this chemical out there. And you have EPA managers just, you know, just lining out the risk of it and pushing it through. And that's where we've got to stop. We cannot have that happen, you know, and, you know, that is something that we feel is critical to get into our contract. You know, we had a kickoff meeting last Monday uh, we, to rally our members, to get to, to tell them what we have at stake. You know, we had Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib was there and then Tim Whitehouse from Peer, which is the Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility, and Peer is the one that's uh, representing the whistleblowers in that article that Sharon Lerner has out there. 
Tlaib has been a pretty big ally for y'all in uh, in Congress. Is that right? She absolutely has been, uh, you know, you know, under the under the Trump administration, when they have, you know, we're we're taking these actions against uh, us with the unilateral when, uh, you know, they I had an office closer to where I live now. Uh, under the Trump administration, they chose to close that office and move me further away. You know, she was an advocate trying to keep that office open. You know, she was an advocate in Congress for uh, worker rights. You know, she shows up at our, um, you know, our rallies that we put together, you know, during the, um, you know, the budget shutdowns that we had under the Obama administration, she came out and rallied with us. And it's been Congresswoman Tlaib, you know, Congresswoman Dingell's been great. Congressman Levin, who has been down there to support the the strikers at the or the, the unionizers in Alabama. You know, we've got some really great congressional support in Michigan for our union. That's great. And, and, and I didn't mean to and, and I wasn't uh, I wasn't planning on on asking you this, but but uh, and, and you can you don't have to answer if you but if you don't want. But uh, Andy Levin and Rashida Tlaib are both facing primaries from um, more the you know democratic majority for israel uh actual republican funders um bakari sellers uh backed packs are, are trying to primary both of those folks um how is how, how are people how's your union and, and the people in michigan responding to that so i can tell you that our union has come out and endorsed rashida talib and we have endorsed uh Congresswoman uh, Debbie Dingell. So those two we've already endorsed. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I love Congressman Levin. You know, I also love Congresswoman Stevens, who are, you know, in the same district now. So I mean, that's it's it's a tough, tough thing there. But uh, you know, we we've come out very strongly for the second uh, election cycle in the year for Congresswoman Dingell and Tlaib. Hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, hopefully they are able to. Uh, hopefully they're they're able to prevail. How are you feeling going into contract negotiations on Monday? Uh, that it should not be this hard. <laughs> that it should not be this right. hard when you have the backing of the president of the United States and you can hold up an executive order saying that the agency should encourage. Uh, unionization and organizing. Uh, so it's it's tough. You know, one other thing I want to talk about with the contract, though, is climate change. You know, we believe that, and you don't have to just take it from the EPA union, you know, the, the, D, the Department of Defense calls climate change a d- th- direct threat to national security. And yeah, the woke we've liberals got to move... at the Department of Defense, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. They're not known to be a bunch of tree huggers over, uh, right. you know, in Quantico, well, not Quantico, but Lejeune and, you know, things like that. Uh, but we have to act now just to even limit the effects of climate change. And we want President Biden to declare a climate emergency so that he could use loan guarantees for renewable energies, that we can, you know, reduce the carbon footprint of at federal agencies and, you know, the projects that federal agencies outlie. So, you know, we, we believe that climate change is an existential threat to humanity. You know, at the same time, though, that we believe that you have to take care of 
the workers that are, that will be affected by this and bring them along, as your guest said a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, and and hope y'all are able to secure something like that. You said you're based in Chicago. So our union is based in Chicago. Uh, that's where our, the region's headquartered. But I'm outstationed mm-hmm. in Michigan. Gotcha. You know, because I'm part of the uh, emergency response staff. We've got emergency responders that are uh, based, you know, so Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Okay. So, okay. Gotcha. I actually, I, I responded to um, Ida last year. I was down in New Orleans uh, working for the Corps of Engineers, not the EPA, but the Corps of Engineers um, for, for the Ida response. So had a... Um, so different different uh, response team, but but kind of uh, similar similar stuff there. Um, maybe I can swing by your office's headquarters in Chicago while I'm while I'm there for the Labor Notes Convention and get one of those nice hats. <laughs> uh, absolutely, uh, you know uh, Nicole Cantello is our president. She would be happy to meet you and uh, to bring you up. So you know we finally did get uh, our office back after. And this is crazy, you know, the Biden administration, I'll say again, told the agency to, uh, you know, take back all those illegal directives. We were supposed to get our office back, but we were forced to fight through arbitration to get back what we were owed. I mean, it's just, it's disheartening. And, you know, it, you know, we're going to fight like, like hell coming up on Monday, but you know, it's not going to be easy. It, it shouldn't be, shouldn't be this hard. Yeah. Well, uh, Brian, I appreciate your time. Keep us updated and, uh, and have a good rest of your weekend. Rest up for Monday. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Jacob, Adam, thank you. You know, solidarity to all of us across the nation. All right. Absolutely. Thank you again. Best of luck. Yep. Thanks, Brian. Yes. Thanks. All right, folks, we've been talking to Brian Kelly, vice president of AFGE Local 704, representing a thousand EPA workers in the Great Lakes State, Great Lakes States about the, their fight with the Trump administration, their uh, continued fight with the Biden administration, their contract negotiations coming up on Monday. Um, so looking forward to hearing hearing some good news from them in the future. We are going to take another break, and we will be right back. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. And give us a call if you want to join the show. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. See you in a bit. Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. We have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about our work advocating for customers and join the fight, go to energyalabama.org. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. 
They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at iamaw44.org. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. only union talk radio show this is the valley labor report my name is jacob morrison my co-host and fellow agitator is adam keller we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the tennessee valley the spice radio studios in huntsville alabama we just had a great conversation with brian kelly Vice President of AFGE Local 704, representing a 1,000 EPA workers in the Great Lakes states. We also talked about 
Tim James and Katie Britt earlier in the program. Talked about some wins coal miners are getting from the Mine Safety and Health Administration. No thanks to people like them. If you missed any of that, not to worry. Not to worry at all because we upload everything online. Uh, You can find full episodes wherever you get your podcasts on Facebook and on YouTube. Just search for The Valley Labor Report. You can also find clips on YouTube, on Facebook, and now newly on TikTok. We are newly on TikTok. We're uploading clips of the show uh, from for, uh, to all of those platforms, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. So you can find us there at the Valley Labor Report. I think we're TVLRFM on on TikTok, but uh, searching for the Valley Labor Report should bring us up on TikTok as well. One of these days, I keep, I always try, I always mean to, like every Saturday, I'm like, I'm going to this Saturday uh, try to work on live distribution after the show to TikTok and Twitch and everything like that. And then after the show, I'm tired and I don't want to do it. So... I probably won't do it today either. <laughs> we'll see. But one of these days, we're going to try to get live distribution on TikTok and Twitch, too, in addition to YouTube and Facebook, because I think there's there's an audience there. So I appreciate everybody listening. Um, so cops are uh, out of control. <laughs> cops are out of control, man. Um, some local and state headlines just just in Alabama over the past couple of weeks have been full of cops behaving badly. Um, Adam, you've yeah. been kind of compiling some of those. Yeah, right? and the thing is, I wasn't looking for this. Um, you know, <laughs> just I just kind of like I just try to stay current on the news as one does, and uh, couldn't help but notice a pattern over the last couple of weeks uh, with one story after another. Uh, particularly involving Alabama's prisons. Uh, So here are just a few of the headlines here in June uh, and the end of May. So just really the last two weeks. AL Political Reporter reported that Alabama prisons see three more deaths. That was from May 26th. A few days later on June 2nd, another man dies at St. Clair Prison, also with the AL Reporter. And then... The very next day, WHNT here in Huntsville reported two inmates assaulted on two consecutive days at Limestone County Correctional Facility. And the issues in Alabama's prisons, of course, spanned into the corrections officers themselves and some of the misconduct happening there. AL.com reported uh, out of Pickens County over in West Alabama, a jailer charged with 16 counts of custodial sex abuse. In Huntsville, again, WHNT, they reported a Marshall County corrections officer accused of bringing drugs into the jail. Well, of course, how else do you think they get there? Uh, Here's another report. Man convicted of receiving stolen property in Jackson County recaptured after his escape. But not to be outdone, uh, Alabama Department of Corrections had to uh, report that a similar escape that happened within a couple of days was actually an inmate released by mistake. So um, maybe a good time to remind everyone that the United States Department of Justice is suing the state of Alabama and the Department of Corrections, alleging that the state's prisons violate 
prisoners' constitutional rights to protection from violence and sexual assaults. In other news regarding our unjust criminal justice system, there's been continued fallout from the June 3rd, 2020 protest in Huntsville. You may remember this is when the Huntsville Police and Madison County Sheriff's Office and other agencies decided to riot against peaceful protesters. I know that's not how it's described in other outlets, but uh, that's reality. So in good news, uh, one of the victims of police violence is suing Huntsville Police Department, April Grubb. And there was a very uh, good article on AL.com that came out last week. I uh, believe that was uh, Ashley Rimkus. Ashley has done a lot of good reporting on the protest and uh, the police violence involving these protests. Ashley had another good one, this time meeting with April Grubb. If you watched any footage of the protest, you probably saw Miss April Grubb uh, as her legs were bleeding from rubber bullets shot uh, by Huntsville Riot Police. Uh, So I definitely encourage you to check that out. Uh, Really wishing all the best to her and her legal team as they seek not just justice for her, but actual change in the police department. Uh, And Ms. Grubb made it a point to emphasize that in this interview, that this is not just about money. This is about justice. Uh, Around the same time, you know, within the exact same week, there was an article uh, on WHNT titled Advocates Continue Police Brutality Conversation Two Years After the Protest. David Person from the Rosa Parks Committee was speaking with Channel 19 about continued efforts towards police reform and criminal justice reform in the city of Huntsville. Uh, But what really stood out to me was a statement given in this article by the mayor of Huntsville himself, tear gas Tommy Battle. And I'm going to quote the mayor here. The protests that occurred here and around the world helped spark a national conversation about policing in diverse communities. In taking a closer look at our own processes and procedures, we found many changes being implemented elsewhere were already standard practice here. We have one of the most progressive and innovative departments in the country. That's a testament to our departmental leadership, as well as all the talented men and women who put their lives on the line every day. I'm proud of our police officers, and I appreciate their enduring efforts and sacrifices to keep our city safe. Huntsville Mayor Tommy Battle. I I, I, mm. don't know what to say. (laughs) I'm a little bit speechless on that one. Uh, This is the same police force that shot tear gas and rubber bullets at unarmed, peaceful protesters. They're currently being sued for those actions. The same police department has a history of abuse, a history of actual murder. A history of defending murder. A history of defending the murderer and uh, applauding the leadership of the police chief who sanctioned said murder. So that's our mayor, folks, in the uh, bright star of Alabama. Elsewhere in Alabama, Warren Tidwell reports that a private citizen who decided to post up on a building like a sniper at a Black Lives Matter protest two years ago has just become a police officer in Walker County, Alabama. Yikes. 
Cops aren't just going crazy in Alabama, though. By now, we've all heard about the uh, you know, the horrific, horrific inaction and cover-ups by cops in Uvalde, Texas. In addition to that, as if it wasn't bad enough, they're threatening parents who are speaking out. Angeli Rose Gomez, who was handcuffed trying to rescue her kids at Uvalde, said police are threatening to keep her quiet. She was handcuffed and re- and then released. She ran into the school and got her two kids and got them out. And she was talking about she talked to the media about her experience. Subsequent to that, quote, she said she got a call from police that she could face a probation violation for obstruction if she continues to talk to the media. It's just disgusting. Amazing. The city of Uvalde has announced that they will be hiring more cops in the wake of this incident. That way, next time, they've got a dozen cowards waiting in the hallway while children are murdered instead of half a dozen. It's really despicable. It's it, despicable. In Arizona, three cops watched as a man drowned, saying, we aren't coming after you. They also said apparently they hadn't received training for such incidents. Oh, no. I haven't either. Uh, but if you're drowning, I'm going to do my damn best to save you. I just, uh, imagine, just, I, just putting that out there. Not a hero, course, just a regular person. These are not just isolated incidents of cops performing poorly either. Unlike every other government institution. We just talked to Brian Kelly a union worker at the EPA who talked about how their staff is the same and their budget is the same as it was in 1980. We talked last week about the EEOC, which has half the staff that it did in 1980 and less than the budget when you less than the 1980 budget when you account for inflation. Unlike government institutions that are meant to support and protect working people like the EEOC, like the EPA, that have been slashed and defunded since the 80s, cops have seen their budgets skyrocket with a worse performance to show for it. A recent article in the American Prospect titled, Why Are Cops So Bad at Their Jobs?, Excellent article. Excellent. Excellent article. I would highly recommend everybody go read it. Why are cops so bad at their jobs? In the American Prospect, they said, according to the most recent data published by the FBI, the rates at which police forces are solving crimes have plunged to historic lows. In the case of murders and violent crime, clearance rates have dipped to just 50%. A startling decline, a startling decline from the 1980s when police cleared 70 percent of all homicides. It's not just murder; manslaughter is down to 69 percent clearance from 90 percent clearance 40 years ago. Clearances in assault and rape cases have dropped to 47 percent and 30 percent, respectively. Nonviolent property crimes like burglary, which involves illegally entering a property, theft, which involves taking property from another person, and motor vehicle theft are getting solved at a microscopic 14 percent, 15 percent, and 12 percent respectively 
According to Crime and the Mythology of Police, a recent article published in the uh, Washington University Law Review by University of Utah Law Professor Shima Baradaran Bauman, on a good year, police solve less than a quarter of reported cases. Less than a quarter. And we have not seen good years lately. And remember, this is in an environment where police are continually, continually getting more and more and more and more money, more and more and more resources, more and more and more army, military-grade weapons. More. It's just more. More and more and more resources are going to the cops, and this is what we've got to show for it. Just think about for a second how your annual performance review would go if you even made it that far, if you accomplished 25% of the tasks that were assigned to you. And we're talking about clearance rates. What are clearance rates? Clearance rates are the rates at which people are arrested for crimes. That is not the rate at which people are convicted for crimes. So clearance rates are even an overestimation for how, how much crime is actually being solved. Right? Because inevitably, some people that are arrested are never convicted. They're proven innocent. It's somebody else. So 25% is a high estimate of how much crime is being solved. How would you, how would you, how would your boss react if you just didn't do 75% of the work assigned to you? Um, I'll just tell you how it is for me. It would not go over well. <laughs> no, probably not. Probably not. It would not go over well. And I certainly would not be getting a raise. I certainly would not be getting more resources. <laughs> I certainly would not be pampered by the media. I certainly would not be worshipped. Yeah, it's, uh, it's insane. It- yeah, it is, and I think it's just it's worth reflecting on because Alabama has one of the highest incarceration rates in the country. It's so, and our country, of course, has the highest incarceration rate on planet Earth. Yes, the home of the brave and land of the free. So, just some things to think about. Uh, unfortunately, working people, we do have to deal with violence from the carceral system and from police. And this is this is some of the results of these investments by our own tax dollars. Um, I did want to mention real quick uh, and better news that the Huntsville City Council is considering issuing tickets rather than arrest for simple marijuana possession. Uh, I'm not up to date on the latest on that. I know that it's something that's been discussed at the city council. I know that Tennessee Valley Progressive Alliance and many other uh, social justice groups and advocates in the community have been calling for this for years. So hopefully this is a sign of some progress. We'll see. Uh, And last thing I wanted to mention before we get off the air is that there will be a debate for the 5th Congressional District runoff between Casey Wardensky and Dale Strong. That's going to be June 14th at 7 o'clock. WHNT is the host, but it's going to be aired on WHDF and I'm sure online at WHNT's website. Uh, But for all of you who are local, you're in the 5th Congressional District. 
the two Republican finalists in the runoff will be debating. So send your questions and uh, tune in. Watch the – well, I shouldn't say what – I we're still in the air on radio, so I can't say my real thoughts there, but uh, just tune in. should be interesting. When is the election? June 21st, I believe. June 21st. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, um, as we're wrapping up here on the, on the radio, just a reminder, you can leave us a voicemail anytime, uh, anytime. When we are off the air, the number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can buy our hat or give money to us on our website. That website is tvlr.fm. We are going to be going to Labor Notes um, on Thursday, and we're really excited about that. We will be giving you a report on that in a couple of weeks. So we're going to be pre-taping the show for next week while we're at Labor Notes. And then the next week we'll talk about our experience at Labor Notes. It's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, really looking forward to that. Uh, you can find us online where we're going to continue talking in overtime. Uh, we've got some news on uh, some local homeless news. Um some local Starbucks news that is really cool. I'll just tell you really quick. Scot- uh, Scottsboro Starbucks workers are filing. They have filed for an election. Very cool. Um, and we are potentially going to be talking to Josh Moon from the Alabama Political Reporter and some other stuff. So find us online, the Valley Labor Report. Until then, we'll see you next week. All power to the workers. You'll find overtime in your podcast feed on Thursday.